This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 215-inch. On this episode, we are joined by Weird the Al Yankovic Story, first assistant director, Emily Newman. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Well, did you watch it? Did I watch it? Yes! No way, absolutely not, gotta pass. No way, absolutely not, gotta pass? Why the heck not? You know what? I've never really been a fan of Stephen King movies. They're pretty scary, actually. What the heck are you talking about? Did you or didn't you watch the Weird the Al Yankovic Story special features? Of course I watched those. Well, tell me about it! Well, my understanding is that it's based off of a 1986 horror novel by author Stephen King. The story follows the experiences of seven children as they are terrorized by an evil entity that exploits the fears of its victims to dis- What? No, Dave, come on! We need to talk about Weird the Al Yankovic Story on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD blu-ray well i'd love to do that but unfortunately we are out of time and we really need to move on to what's happening in weird Al related news all right so yesterday december 12th weird the al yankovic story was officially released in north america on dvd blu-ray and 4k ultra hd blu-ray if you haven't picked up a copy or 27 well what are you waiting for well I think some people might be waiting for a spoiler warning. We are going to talk about the commentary and deleted scenes. So if you want to avoid spoilers, now would be a good time to start singing Harvey the Wonder Hamster as loud as you can over and over and over again until we're done talking about it. All right, Ethan, how will people know that we're done talking about it? When they stop singing Harvey the Wonder Hamster, of course. They'll just know, all right? All right, come on, Ethan. Okay, fine. If you want to avoid spoilers, still sing Harvey the Wonder Hamster, but skip ahead to 4 minutes, 36 seconds to avoid any and all spoilers. One of the highlights of the special features happens during the official commentary track, which was recorded by Weird Al and Eric Appel, where Al gives us a major shout-out during the Cobra Pit scene. Not only does Al mention both of our full names and Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast by name, he also gives us credit for, well, you should just listen for yourself for that part. Also in the commentary, Weird Al talks about how his daughter, Nina, who was attending college on the East Coast at the time, made the right choice not flying across country just to be an extra in the film. I mean, really? Who would be crazy enough to do something like that? The commentary is totally crammed full of tons of fun trivia and factoids, some you may have heard already here on the podcast, but many heard for the first time on this commentary. The other most exciting special feature of the Blu-ray and DVD are the deleted alternate and extended scenes. Hosted by Weird Al and Eric, they give context to each extended scene or alternate take. Some are obvious why they didn't make the final cut, while others are so great, in our opinion, they absolutely could have been included in the film. The deleted and extended reel ends with a compilation of smaller bits and bloopers, including an extension of the Cobra Pit scene. 
as Weird Al and his band bask in the glory of a successful I Love Rocky Road performance, it's announced that an ice cream truck is outside and the bikers excitedly run out. Shot from the perspective of Weird Al on stage, you can prominently see Tough Biker number 7 and Tough Biker number 8 high-five with glee as they rush off for some Rocky Road ice cream. We only wish they would have included some alternate takes of skunk barf, namely when I got hit in the head with a brick. And also when you threw those tidy whities that got stuck on the boom mic. <laughs> or when you and I rushed the stage and joined the band and officially replaced Jim and Steve for the rest of the film. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that didn't make it. I guess they're saving that for the Yankovic cut. All right, you can stop singing Harvey the Wonder Hamster now! Where the Al Yankovic story is available for a regular order online from ShoutFactory.com, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, and everywhere Blu-rays and DVDs are sold. Also, keep an eye out while holiday shopping in stores for any copies you may see on shelves. We're curious where it might show up, so please let us know what you find. This week marks the 40th anniversary of the first day, or approximate date, that the band began recording or sequencing a number of tracks from the album Weird Al Yankovic in 3D. Yesterday, on December 12th in 1983, Weird Al and his band began recording The Brady Bunch, I Lost on Jeopardy, and Theme from Rocky 13. And two years before that, in 1981, they began recording Pac-Man. Exactly 40 years ago today, on December 13th, 1983, Weird Al and his incredible band brought to life King of Suede, Polkas on 45, and Weird Al's breakthrough smash hit, Eat It. Now, newer listeners of our podcast who may have just heard about us this week for the first time may be surprised to learn that Eat It is actually a parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It. Really? No way! And don't you make me repeat it! Eat It, of course, was the first single off of Weird Al Yankovic in 3D, with the 7-inch single dropping on February 28, 1984, 16 days after the song made its debut on the Dr. Demento show. It reached number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 here in the U.S. and number 1 on the Australian Kent Music Report, while also charting in Ireland, New Zealand, and the U.K. The single was certified gold in the U.S. by the RIAA five and a half years later on October 19, 1989, and also certified gold in Canada and Australia. Eat It earned Weird Al his first Grammy Award in the Best Comedy Recording category at the 27th Annual Grammy Awards. The music video, a shot-by-shot remake of Michael's, features many of the same dancers with past guest of the podcast, Vincent Patterson, reprising his role as the rival gang leader. The music video also went on to win an American Video Award in the category of Best Male Performance. Furthermore, the guitar solo, performed by Eddie Van Halen in Beat It, was performed by Al's longtime producer, Rick Derringer, for Eat It. The original single features That Boy Could Dance as the B-side, with re-releases in 1985 and 1993, with I Lost on Jeopardy as the B-side. And most importantly, it was the very first Weird Al song that our very own Dave Elvis Rossi heard with his very own ears. And Eat It was also the first Weird Al song that our very own Ethan Allman ever heard. Well, not technically the first, but arguably one of the first Weird Al songs he ever heard. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, happy 40th anniversary to Eat It!
We are pleased to report that our pal in episode 126-inch guest Scott Barber's documentary, This Is Guar, has been nominated for Award This 2023 in the category of Best Music Documentary. Additionally, we are pleased to report that our pal and episode 126-inch guest Scott Barber's documentary, This Is Guar, has won the Award This 2023 award for Best Music Documentary. This is Guar, which features interviews with Weird Al, can be streamed on AMC Plus and Shudder. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, congratulations to Scott Barber and the team behind This is Guar for the nomination and the big win. Okay, let's check out what's happening in Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West-related news. Monday, December 18th marks the birthday of Grammy Award-winning podcast theme song writer Jim Kimo West. It is a very special milestone birthday as Kimo celebrates 70 years on the planet Earth. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, happy 70th birthday, Jim Kimo West! To help celebrate this special birthday, we hope that you'll join us in watching Kimo's annual holiday live stream the day before Kimo's birthday on Sunday, December 17th. This is the very last time that you'll ever be able to watch Jim Kimo West perform again while he's 69 years old. So don't miss it! The festivities start at 4 p.m. Hollywood Star Time, 7 p.m. Burrito Burrito Time, and tickets are only $15 or free if you are a Kimo's Corner member. For tickets and more information, be sure to head over to JimKimoWest.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Vegan Burrito Restaurant, Burrito Burrito, home of the two-pound, double-wrapped in a quesadilla, Burrito Burrito, and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito, and Wizard Burger for mouth-watering, loaded, dare I say beefy, vegan burgers. From Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food, always vegan style. Visit burritosquare.com and wizardburger.com and order ahead. And now it's time for What's Happening in David Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast-Related News! With all of the attention on Weird Al for his Spotify rap video, we decided we want some limelight too! So we've decided to do something extra special for our number one listeners. If your Spotify rap said your number one podcast was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, we want to thank you with both a thank you, thank you, and with a special gift. Special, special gift. gift. Please email frank at 2000inch.com by December 20th, 2023 with proof of Dave and Ethan's 2000inch Weird Al podcast being your number one most listened to podcast and intern Frank will take it from there. If you happen to be listening to this after December 20th and are kicking yourself for missing the deadline, you know what? Still email Frank and we'll still do something, but only slightly less special for you. Thank you to everyone who listened to us this year, even if you weren't number one. Don't worry, you can always do better next year. If you're not already following us on social media, you may be missing out on quality Weird Al content more than just our episode launches. For example, this month, we've been sharing important events in Weird Al history on our Instagram and Facebook stories. And recently on Instagram, we shared two pretty stinking majestic videos made by our friends. 
One is a fake, weird commentary video by Mike Minnick, and the other is a movie trailer for Tough, a biker story by Claire Walsh. Plus, whenever we see something fun and Weird Al related on Instagram, you know it's going to be in our story. So be sure to follow us at 2000inch on Instagram, Facebook, X, and Threads so you don't miss any extra podcast and Weird Al related goodness. Over the past few episodes, we've spoken to Weird the L. Yankovic Story director Eric Appel. Now, this episode, we are excited to be speaking to Eric's second-in-command. Take it away, Dave! We are absolutely thrilled to welcome to the podcast Emily Newman, the first assistant director of Weird the Al Yankovic Story. Now, we know you as Newman. Is it okay if we call you Newman? You can absolutely call me Newman. That's what everybody calls me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Newman, new, new, new me. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's such a unique name that when Eric introduced us to you on set, like we immediately, like we could never forget your name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People like to yell it too. <laughs> or, or like the, the Jerry Seinfeld, hello Newman. I'm sure you get yeah, that which the older The older I get, the less like young people are like, what's that? And I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. But there were, um, there were a lot of Emily's in my class when I was growing up and then Seinfeld was huge. And it's like, I've been Newman since like the seventh grade and it wow. just stuck and it's easy and yeah. it works. Yeah. <laughs> since we're on the topic of your name and you work closely with both Eric and Al on the film, did anybody make the connection that if you combine the three of your names, it makes Alfred E. Newman? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Whoa. It absolutely does. <laughs> the dream team. <laughs> ah, we should have done like a fake Mad Magazine cover for that. Oh, well, there's <laughs> there's still time. We There is still time. We have many talented <laughs> listeners who are, are listening. So hopefully we can make an Alfred E. Newman cover. That'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about that, but that's pretty genius. <laughs> well, so Newman, we're so excited to have you here. Uh, obviously, we met you on the set, but we'd love to hear about how you actually got started in the film industry before we even talk about Weird. Okay, yeah. Um... I mean, I knew I wanted to make movies since when I was young and like my brother and I used to do, we used to write Star Trek episodes in our basement and film them. Um, <laughs> and he would like wow. build, cause our basement was like a Navy blue and he would build like the Starship Enterprise out of Legos and we'd like hang it on clear string and like oh, sing wow. the theme song and like shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> We were nerds, but it, I mean, that's like what you do when you're kids. And then um, I studied production in school and then I got out of school and was like, I want to make movies and I don't know how. And then I worked at a bar like everybody else. <laughs> um, and then a movie came to town. I answered an ad on Craigslist. This was years ago when you could still do that without getting kidnapped. But, um, this guy was running a theater. It turned out running a theater a few doors down from the restaurant I was in in Nashville and a production company was coming to town to like, and they were using his office as like their production office. And he was like, I need an assistant. And I got there and I was like, Oh, it's Ken from the, <laughs> I serve him at the pizza shop all the time. Great. So <laughs> he was like, come be my assistant for this movie. And after a couple days, the producers were like, you seem like not a total idiot. Do you want to come work on set? And like, yeah. <laughs> 
And I was like, I'll do it for free. And they're like, we'll give you 50 bucks a day. And I was like, even better. (laughs) So I did that movie, which was called The Furnace, starring Michael Paré and Ja Rule. Cool. Um, The great William Butler directed that. Uh, You can't, I don't even think you can find it anywhere. But I just had so much fun. It was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) And then that production ended and I went back to the bar and I was like, well, how do I do more of this? And then because it's Nashville, I just started doing music videos. And then there's a lot of live events here, um, Mm -hmm. like award shows and music shows. And so I just kind of started working my way up through that. And we do get a fair amount of independent movies here. Um, And Billy, the early years was a movie that had come to town um, about Billy Graham and Army Hammer was playing Billy Graham. And a friend of mine was the first AD and her husband was the key grip. And I wanted to be a dolly grip when I was younger. I just thought it was the coolest thing. And you're by the action and pushing the camera around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. I mean, gripping is hard. And our first AD, Pam, was like, I want you to be the second second. But if you really want to be a grip, Scotty will hire you as a grip. So just, you know, kind of where do you want to go with this? And I was like, I think I'm, I'm pretty bossy and I like, knowing everything so I think I'll be an AD (laughs) and then it just kind of worked my way up from there I mean it took years and years um I did the show Nashville here I did the show Still the King and then um I got hired on a Duplass show for HBO called Room 104 uh and I moved to LA about seven years ago and I'd kind of done all I could do in Nashville I was like all right I'm ready for bigger things and then my friend Drew is the first on that and was like come be the second Cool. Like move out here in two weeks. And I was like, great, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) So I did. I think for people like Dave and I, and maybe some of our listeners who are not as familiar with the different roles on set. Yeah. What is a a first AD and how does that compare to a director or second AD or or some of these other roles you've mentioned? Yeah. So the assistant director, um, which is not the director's assistant, which I think a lot of people just normally like naturally think, um, but the ADs are a team that work pretty closely with the director. The first AD is in charge of making the schedule, and they run set. So when a director's like, hey, I want it to look moody and full and sexy in here, the ADs are like, okay, well, we'll <laughs> need this many people. And like props and lighting are like, well, we should do this for that effect. And the DP's like, well, we could shoot it this way. So it's kind of... Um, the most important thing for the first is the schedule and then running the set, but then working with all the other department heads of like, how are we achieving the director's vision, right? Like what all do we need to put in place to be able to turn on the camera and say role and action. Um, and then the second AD is, so the first AD is on set running set. The second AD, which I did for a long time also runs base camp and runs the actors and hair, makeup, and wardrobe and all that. So if I at first looked to my second, um, who was Julie Cummings on Weird, um, and I'm like, hey, by 9 a.m. I need all these actors, 40 extras, and everyone here at this place. And then she'll figure out the logistics for the cast, and I'll figure out the logistics for the crew. And you kind of work together that way. And then if you're lucky enough to have a second second, um, which I did with Oscar on Weird, they're like the first AD's kind of right-hand person working with them on set. So if you're like, hey, we're looking out the window first, we need people walking across the street, make sure there's no trucks there. Like they're kind of 
working ahead or like, hey, we're going inside next, make sure the stage is clear. Like hmm. they're kind of working ahead with the departments as well to make sure we can keep moving and whatever help we need. That was a very clear and maybe the best explanation I've ever heard for, for, for that. I mean, I've, I've Googled it before and I, you know, before the interview, I was looking into it and you you need to write a book on this, I think. <laughs> Thank you. I think it helps. I've been, I, I started as a PA. I moved up to a second second. I was a key second for a long time and then now I'm firsting. So I feel like some people jump up pretty fast. That you can always tell, especially with higher ups, like with producers and sometimes directors, like you can tell if they've never been a PA on set or like been in the trenches sometimes with mm. the way they ask for things or how they are like, well, what if you just do this? And you're like, that's not possible. <laughs> you don't know what you're asking me to do right now. <laughs> so, that happens sometimes. <laughs> but with Eric, I got super lucky because he, him and I had not worked together before Weird. Um, so when we met and had a meeting, like I think we Zoomed, um, Zach Halley, who's the UPM, and I had worked together on a show in Nashville called Still the King for two seasons. And then we'd worked together on Drunk History. And then he brought me on to this to meet Eric for Weird. Hmm. And then... The great thing with Eric is he knows what he wants. He knows his shots. He knows what he's doing. He has a lot of trust in his crew. Like, like for example, at the bar when you guys were there, it was like he let me set all the background. He didn't care who was where. Like, we knew, you know, like you guys are in the front. And at this point, the band will come out and we need so-and-so over here. But, like, he'll let you kind of set it up and be like, do whatever you want. I trust you. Let's look at it. Maybe change this or that. Like, there's some directors that, want such a hand in every part of it as they should it's their vision that's coming mm -hmm. to life right mm -hmm. it's super important but it when you are on such a tight schedule sometimes and i think because eric's done so much tv and you have to move so fast in tv like you know what to focus on you know what the important part is like don't worry what the third background guy at the bar is wearing a plaid t-shirt but the guy across the thing is also wearing a plaid t-shirt that doesn't matter focus on <laughs> right what the camera wants to get do you know what i mean so yeah, like right. We worked really well together of like, set it up, let's watch a rehearsal, change it, tweak what you need, and let's go. Like, it wasn't, it was really easy to work together because he trusted me, which was great. Uh, that's really interesting. And you brought up that, of course, and we all know that Weird was shot on a very, very tight schedule. I think it was 18 days of shooting. So what yeah. are some of the challenges of working on such a tight schedule as the first assistant director? Yeah, so I created the schedule. And at first, when I first... Oh, you couldn't give yourself down, a couple extra days in there, you know, if you created Oh, right? well, I, gave, I think I did... <laughs> yeah, I think I did 21, and then we cut it to 20, and then... Zach was like, I think we have to do 18 because of there was a lot of factors. I mean, budget is always a factor. Um, even sure. when you have 40 days, there's like never enough time and money. Right. But um, Dan Radcliffe had a, a specific out day. And because COVID, when was this? 20... 2022. Yeah. Beginning of 2022. Yeah. Uh, yes. 2022. I keep thinking it's 2021. So we had been vaccinated at that point. But knowing if somebody like he was in almost every scene. So figuring out if. So we had to start with all of Dan's work because if he got sick and had to sit out five days, we needed to be able to pull stuff up to finish the shoot with him, right? Hmm. So knowing that, and Eric really wanted to start with Al's college apartment stuff, 
with Dan. So I knew that would be the first day. But then when Zach was like, we have to get it down to 18 days. And I was like, I don't know if we can get it down to 18 days. He's like, we have to. And I was like, okay, then we will. (laughs) So it becomes a point in the schedule when it's like certain things have to go together. Like when you first start making a schedule, you can make a hundred different schedules, right? Like you could start in the woods, you could start in the house, you could start wherever. So like for us, it was like the big question was, do we start at Pomona? Cause Pomona was like eight days of our work, which was where like the apartment was, um, or no, sorry, Al's young, all young Al's house stuff was at Pomona. The hospital was at Pomona. A lot of driving stuff was at Pomona. Like, some green screen stuff, um, Pablo Escobar's. That that was the big like college campus where you guys shot a lot of stuff. Yes, and that's a great location because there's so many different um, feels and like it's almost like a back lot. Mm-hmm. So it was like okay, you can either start with Pomona or you can start with everything else, and then depending on actors' availability and location availability, then it became okay. We want to save Pomona to the end if because of a couple different location availabilities and things that were happening in the start. And we wanted to start with Dan's work. We didn't want to start Dan and then have him sit for five days while we shot the little kid and then brought him back. We were like, let's do all of Dan's stuff first in case anything happens with COVID. We can always pull up the little kid if we need to and then finish with Dan. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So then once you figure that out, it's like, okay, well, like the house for the pool party, we could only do on a Monday for whatever reason. (laughs) So it could only be <laughs> this Monday or that Monday. And then once you start booking people, it's like, well, Conan can only do so-and-so. Well, you know. <laughs> so then you kind of start getting locked into locations. And so your schedule kind of reveals itself. And then there was a point where the dad was kind of a tricky casting. Okay. Um, And so, like, there was a couple of times when Zach would call and be like, hey, what would it look like if we had to cast so-and-so? He could only work these days. And I'd be like, cool, okay. And like, I have, I have a giant calendar in my office with post-its that's all color-coordinated with locations. So then you like take a picture of that one and then you start moving all your post-its around. So oh, take a man. picture of that one. <laughs> wow. And like, I mean, you could do it on your computer too, but I like to see it. And then I'm like, here's the deal. If we switch that, that means we lose this location. That person's not available here. This person can't come on that date. So, and I, I tell producers and directors, I'm like, it's up to you guys, but this is what happens if we change it. Right. And like with Patton, so Patton was supposed to play Demento or they had spoken to him about playing it. And so they were, but he was on a book tour. And so he had really specific days he could work. So I had a Patton schedule too of like, okay, well, (laughs) if we had to move the Demento days around, here's what that looks like. And we'd have to move in and out of this place because of his availability. And that place is only available on Monday. And so we had a couple different versions um, of the schedule floating around, and then Patton ended up breaking his foot. Right. So that kind of yeah. made that decision for us, unfortunately. Um, so in the end, I actually really like the schedule we had. It was a lot, and it was moving fast, but it worked. And we did it in 18 days, and we did it in mostly 10-hour days, which is something I'm incredibly proud of. And our crew kicked so much ass. And <laughs> like there were definitely days we knew we would go along. Like the day you guys were there at the bar, it was a lot to shoot in one day 
And I knew we'd probably go an hour or two over. The day we shot the Grammys was like 11 pages. I knew we'd go an hour or two over. But that is just when you go through the schedule being like, this is a long day here, this is a long day here, but we'll start later the next day. You know, the Grammy location we shot in two days in a row so we could have a long day, walk away, leave all our stuff there, come back later and shoot the next day, mm. and then load out. Like, you kind of balance it out a little bit. Right. Now, looking at, you know, this film in an 18-day shoot... What would be a more realistic time frame? You know, obviously having all the time in the world would be great, but what is a more reasonable number? I know the 18 sounded like, you know, pretty crazy when you heard it first. For sure. I think I had done a 21 or a 22 day and it looked really nice. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it would have been, I mean, nicer. Like there was some stuff we didn't get to do. Like in the diner, I remember there was an, like a track like a huge dolly track outside looking in like going all down all the windows for the fight and oh we ran out of time cool that would have yeah, been awesome that, <laughs> i know it broke my heart when i was like oh, we don't have time i'm so sorry <laughs> that would have been yeah that would have been a great but part of the thing was too like the places we needed more time like would have been the diner or would have been the Grammys, and it's like, do you break that up into two days? Do you lose your momentum mm. if it's coming back? Yeah. Like, yeah, a couple more days would have been great, but honestly, like, it it turned out so well, it's hard to look back and be like, what would I have done differently? Right, right. But, yeah. yeah. A couple more days would have been great. <laughs> 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 For everybody. <laughs> So you said you, you know, you had a Zoom call with Eric to, to get onboarded. When did your work actually start with the film? Seeing as the, the actual shoot started in February 2022. Mm-hmm. So Zach had called me. I was flying. I was in LAX. I was flying, I think, to Boston to see my dad for Christmas. So it was like the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I've got a thing. Like, what are you doing right now? And I was like, nothing. I oh, I just finished <laughs> I can't remember what I was doing, but I just finished something and was like, I'm open. And he's like, well, it's the weird owl movie. And I was like, okay, <laughs> great. I'm in. <laughs> and then he was like, and he's like, you can't tell anybody, but I th- like Daniel Radcliffe is in talk to playing Al. And I was like, I'm all right. Like you had me before, but like, now you really have me. <laughs> and he was like, it might be low budget. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> Um, cause my brother had been a huge Weird Al fan when we were kids and like growing up, like I'm an eighties kid. So like I knew all those songs and videos growing up, like you could like Amish paradise, and, like beat it. It's just, or eat it. Like I, it's weird to me when people don't know Weird Al because it was everywhere when we were kids. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So I was already in. And so I went home and I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to tell people, but I instantly told my brother. And then um, (laughs) I think I had done, I did a breakdown for them over Christmas. And then I came in the office like January 2nd and started prepping immediately. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. So it all happened pretty fast. Yeah. (laughs) And Zach and I know each other. We work well together too. So that was great. Like we already had a trust and a shorthand as well. And then once the the filming schedule is over, is your position finished or are you still working on any of the post-production? It's it's pretty much done. The ADs are mostly just like prepping on set. Um, so yeah, we wrapped in that 
yeah, I, I wrapped when the film wrapped, but then it was just waiting to see <laughs> the craziness we had created. <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to Eric a little bit throughout that. Like, he sent me the first trailer, and I was like, God, this looks so good. <laughs> like, it's so weird sometimes, especially when you're on set with, like, friends or, like, when you're having a good time to, like, you kind of, like, I don't, I watch the monitor sometimes, but I'm usually on set with the camera guys and, like, with the cast and, like, I either Oscars with Eric or Oscars by the camera and I'm with Eric, but I'm, I don't watch the monitors a lot. So I don't always know, like I see them frame and reference and stuff, but I'm not sitting there every day, like watching it through the camera lens. So sometimes when stuff comes up, you're like, God, that looks like a real movie. God, look at what we did. Like, I can't believe that. <laughs> like, it's so fun. Cause you're like, like at the bar, when you guys are there, I'm weaving through the crowd. I'm up on stage talking to people. I'm like, bopping around i'm not just sitting there watching the screen so it's like you kind of forget and then right. time goes by and then you're like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> right it's pretty cool what's it like for you watching back some of these things that you worked on like for example watching weird back for the first time knowing that you've you know worked on it i was so excited to see it and i i wish so much we could have had like a theatrical release because like yeah it's such a big movie and to see it on the big screen i got to see it they did a showing at dynasty typewriter earlier this year i think so i got to go see it there because i missed the screening oh no um, i was at that dynasty typewriter screening oh really yeah i know al called you out from the stage as being there but i was bummed that we didn't have a chance to connect yeah that was the only time i'd seen it on the big screen it was great like to have a crowd like a hometown crowd if you will <laughs> and like watch it with fans was really cool um it's yeah I think I was in Seattle working when the crew screening was so I didn't get to see it with everybody but um I had watched it at home with my friends and then my mom wanted to watch it and then my dad wanted to watch it so I had seen it a couple of times um it's hard though to watch stuff back sometimes because like the first time I watch it I it's always like oh well that's the day so-and-so was late or that's the day rain and we had to move inside or like like the pool party the pool party was like the biggest day and it was like oh yeah we're supposed to have people in the pool but we could the pool warm enough because it was cold because it's february in la and like just i remember so much about shooting when i watch it it's usually like the second time i watch it i can like let that go and enjoy it right um, okay yeah which is kind of weird but <laughs> I just thought it turned out incredible and so funny and so like absurd, but so perfectly Al. Like the tone was just, and we knew making it, we were like, God, this is gonna be good. Yeah. But then I've, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've also worked on things where you're like, this is gonna be incredible, and you watch it and you're like, what happened? Uh, but this yeah. was, oh no, <laughs> one where it was like, oh, like you could just feel the magic, and everyone responded so well to it, and it's so funny, and just. There's such little jokes that still, like, the second term, third time you watch it, <laughs> like, you didn't catch it before. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. there's a lot of subtlety in, in the film. There was a line Rain Wilson was like, hope I, I'm not a D-mentor or something, which he says to Harry Potter, which I didn't pick up on <laughs> until my brother pointed it out. And I was like, I was in the room when he said it, like, 14 times. And that didn't <laughs> How did I miss that? I, I wanted to know... How did your brother like the film? The, you know, the Weird Al fan that you, you know, you grew up with. He absolutely loved it. I got him to, Al signed, um, like a comic or something. He signed my one brother, um, 
a single album of Eat It, and then he signed, like, a comic thing for My Other Brother. They absolutely loved it. Like, he... And he's the one that was like, Dementor! And I was like, didn't pick up on that. Um, And he would send me articles and stuff. And then when Al played that show in Nashville at the Ryman, I brought my brother and my mom. And I emailed Al and was like, I'm going to come see you at the Ryman. Like, just wanted to, you know, say hi. And he was like, come, like, have a meet and greet. And I was like, well, my mom and my brother are with me. He's like, I'd love to meet them. And, like, they... He was so sweet and my brother got to tell him like I'm so excited for my sister and like she had such a good time and like to get to work with you is crazy and like and then Al said some really nice things and it was just like oh Aww. gosh <laughs> this is so Aww. sweet that is so awesome <laughs> and amazingly Dave and I were at that show that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> I wish we knew now now there's I two know. places where we oh, missed out so on seeing you <laughs> missed opportunities oh, yeah that was a great show too and it's such a cool venue a great show great venue yeah absolutely yeah so much history there oh great place the ryman's fantastic yeah, yeah you can't see a bad yeah. show at the ryman my first time in nashville and i can't wait to go back it was just so much fun there's a lot of good here there's a lot of good food a lot of good music a lot of good things to do that's not just like cowboy hats and bell buckles <laughs> there's <laughs> it's a good spot I'm curious what you remember from the day that we were on set. Obviously, Dave and I, you know, have a a very deep memory of all the things we did, but I'm sure there was a lot of other stuff going on, you know, in your world. I know, like, at one point, someone broke their wrist and had to leave, and, like, Mm -hmm. a a beer keg exploded, and (laughs) there's, like, all sorts of stuff you you probably were dealing with. But what, what do you remember from that day? We need to pause the interview right there, but don't fret. We will be back next episode with the rest of our interview with the fantastic Newman. And while you wait for the next episode, be sure to check out some of her other awesome projects, including Somebody Somewhere streaming on Max and Biosphere streaming on AMC+. This episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota, uh, beautiful, it's also not a phase, Mom. Every December 19th, residents of Darwin, Minnesota, join hands to celebrate National Emo Day. Wow, I never would have expected Darwin to celebrate that day, but now I know. According to Urban Dictionary, National Emo Day always takes place on December the 19th and is celebrated all around the world by emos and non-emos alike. Well, I suppose we should put on some tight jeans, tight t-shirts, black eyeliner, and dye our hair black and celebrate along with them. Well, I think we'd do better to wear a yellow and black Harlequin outfit and carry around a water bottle. Oh, it's that emo, as in Emo Phillips. I automatically assumed it was about the music genre. Oh, easy mistake, Dave. So, does that mean I don't get to be all overly emotional and angsty next Tuesday? I mean, you can do whatever you like. Yeah, you know what? This is too confusing. I'm just going to wait and celebrate National Bebop Day instead. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin, more than just the twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to attempt to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast is brought to you absolutely free thanks to our incredible sponsors, Brito Brito, Wizard Burger, our very own Jackson Scoggins, and Discover Darwin. 
Our podcast is also supported by everyone else in our Patreon family. With special thanks to our amazing, close personal friend level Patreon supporters, Kev, Ron, Matt, Zeb, Zach, Blair, Ajax, Gus and Alicia, Adriana, Jake, UH, Jeff, Kenneth, Allison, Dana B, Casey, Scotto, Javier, and also thanks to Alexis and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch. There are awesome benefits like getting your name on the podcast, your own private RSS feed, which gives you early access to each and every bonus episode, and the self-satisfaction of doing something important with your otherwise pitiful, meaningless existence. And now would be a good time to join if you have not joined already, because you'll be the very first to hear our bonus episodes the instant that they drop. And don't forget to check out our official merchandise shop over at shop.2000inch.com. All proceeds from purchases go directly towards supporting our podcast. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans, so be sure to join our Facebook community at group.2000inch.com and visit our Discord server for even more riveting Weird Al and Red Rump Goody related conversations. You can find both of them linked on our website, as well as information about past episodes and guests over at 2000inch.com or weirdalpodcast.com. Keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, X, Threads, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts so you do not miss a single episode. Not only does subscribing help the podcast greatly, it's kid-tested, mother-approved. Plus, we love when we receive voicemail via our official patent-pending 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula, as seen in the Illustrated Al. That number is 347 347- 772-8852. Give it a call or a text, and you might even hear your message in a future episode. Thank you once again to our guest, Emily Newman, a.k.a. Newman, for joining us this episode. Be sure to tune in on the next episode for the rest of our awesome interview. Thank you to Mike Minnick, Claire Walsh, John Bermuda Schwartz, our very own UH Jeff Nucera, Showgals the Movie, the Weird Allen Compassing Song List, and shout out to our new friend Brian Robb, as well as our old friend Allison Parsons. Thank you to the birthday boy and Grammy Award winning Jim Kima West for our incredible podcast theme song, and thank you to the 17 time Grammy nominated Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thanks to all of you, our loyal listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters, and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you, as always, for choosing Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast. And until next time, remember to gill and chill, keep listening to Weird Al, and stay cheesy. Dave, are you up for a game? I am always up for a game. Okay. I'm going to state a fact from Weird Al Yankovic's story, and you need to guess whether it's true or false. True. Yes, that is the game we're going to play. All right, bring it on. True or false, Weird the Al Yankovic story is 108 minutes of pure joy. True. You got it. My Bologna was recorded in a public restroom. That is true. However, it was actually recorded in the bathroom across the hall from Al's college radio station and not at some random bus station. Ooh, bonus points. All right. Eat It was written before Beat It and Michael Jackson's song is a parody of Weird Al's original. Okay, that one is false. Oh, good one, Dave. That one was tricky. All right, last question. 
Weird the Al Yankovic story is the true story of two rough, burly, bearded men who, dejected by the current state of music in the early 80s, stumbled into a seedy bar, only to discover the best, well, perhaps not technically the best, but arguably the most famous accordion player in an extremely specific genre of music. Absolutely false. Weird the Al Yankovic story is the true story of two tough bikers who, dejected by the current state of music in the early 80s, stumbled into a CD bar only to discover the best, well, perhaps not technically the best, but arguably the most famous accordion player in an extremely specific genre of music. Bravo, Dave! You have brought tears to my eyes with your dedication to the weirdness of Al. Thank you! Now, where's my Emmy Award? That was Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 215-inch. Goat, chicken, whatever. You seem like not a total idiot. Special Special gift. gift.